Well, um, as I said a few moments ago, this is uh, my last Sunday here, and so what I want to do is just talk if I can, and I'm going to try to keep it brief, although I've ran out of time in both the prior services because we've had all kinds of Sunday school promotions. That's why we have this balloons up here and stuff. But I want to just share eight lessons that have been learned uh, in these almost 10 years now that grace has existed. We haven't been our entire time here at Key School, but almost our entire time has been here at Key School, except for like the first five Sundays we've been here. And there's been a lot of lessons learned along the way. I just want to share a couple of them with you if I can. I'll try to talk fast, but not too fast. So uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we're here today. Each one of us is facing a unique set of circumstances. Some of us are at high points, some of us are at low points, and some of us are just apathetic in the middle. Lord, whatever we need to hear from you today, whatever it is that we need to take from your word today, I pray, God, that you would make it really clear so that we could walk out with something that puts a spring in us in our step and a smile on our face and God the anointing of your hand upon our hearts in Jesus name amen okay uh hey let me say this uh, if you if you were one of those persons who was here in those first few months that Grace Community Church existed uh we might have a couple in the room could you stand up who who are those people who have been here for a long time Maureen Pan. Huh? Everybody else? Well, you, you, you might be the only one, so stay standing. That's it. You and I, you're it. We're it. Is that it? Is there one else? Okay. So Maureen was part of that. Uh, and I'll tell a story in a minute. about talk about walking in the first place we met. looked like a tool shed. Maureen was the one that made that famous line that I'll explain in just a, in just a few moments. But uh, there was uh, 18 of us. Uh, adults and seven kids, and I was related to about half of the adults that were in the room on that first day. But uh, it was uh, people like Maureen, uh, incredible people like herself, uh, who laid the foundation uh, for this church and who struggled with it in the beginning. And uh, actually, when we first started, Maureen got a friend of hers who was a lawyer who incorporated the church and all kind, just did lots of stuff. So. Um, Anyway, here's some lessons, eight lessons. I wanted to be current, and I also wanted to be historical. So uh, the first one actually is very, very current. Like, it's just from last week, lesson number one. Never say sit and short in the same sentence while you're preaching. <laughs> say those two words, because if you say those two words, you could blend them together, and you could, you could, have, a, you could have a real big problem. Now, apparently, we here at Grace Community Church, we have a gossip problem. We have a gossip. I said that. I, I made a mistake and said those two words together at the 915 service. And all week long, I've been getting emails and phone calls and conversations. People saying, ha, 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 I heard what you did. Shame on you. At the I said, were you at the 915th? No, I wasn't. Well, how did you hear? Well, everybody knows. Everybody's, everybody's talking about it. I wanted to make this really clear because it seemed as if when it came out, it was just so natural the way it came out. And so I, I want to make it clear. I never say that word. I mean, just because it came out naturally, I've, I've never said that word. I've heard my wife say it a few times before. I probably, I might have picked it up from her somewhere along the line. But that's a good lesson that you shouldn't say those two words in a sentence real quickly. Lesson number two, uh, begin each day with expectation. We should begin e Now, this is kind of like the foundation of this entire talk. It's so important that we live lives of expectation. You know, God calls us to live lives of faith 
to live lives of faith. And when we're faith, faith, you know, inherently is positive. It's an expectancy that we have. The psalmist writes in Psalm number five, he says this, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. And in the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. The psalmist was writing this psalm, a lament, a prayer before God, because he was going through a really tough time. He had suffered some kind of injustice because he said he was sighing before God, which means his heart was burning before God. He had suffered some injustice. We don't know what that was. And he was heartbroken. And some of us go through really tough times and we end the day and we feel so bad. We go to sleep. And when you get up in the morning, what the Bible calls us or encourages us to do is remember the mercies of God are new every morning. There's a new slate before you and to lay your request before God and to wait to see what God will do. Expect. When Grace Community Church began almost 10 years ago, expectation level was microscopic. It was so very, very small. Some people in this world, and you know some people like this, I know some people like this, they have big plans, like right out of the starting gate. They've got big plans, and they go on to do really big things, right? We didn't have big plans, and I think that's wonderful to have big plans and go on and do big things. I think it's absolutely awesome, so I'm not saying that that's the wrong way to go. Here's what we have. We did not have big plans, but we did have a big God. And for some of us in this room this morning, our God has gotten too small. The God of heaven is not small. He is very large and able to do amazing and wonderful things. And with a mustard seed of expectation in our hearts, God carried us through. And if it wasn't for that, we would have given up many, many years ago. It's important for all of us to wake up every morning. It's a new slate every day. And to wait in expectancy. You never know what God will do for you today. But God calls us to expect. Lesson number three. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. We were very, very small. And some of you are struggling with the situation right now. And you're thinking, I want this to happen. But it's so much at its infancy stage. Will it ever move off that infancy point? Will I ever get to this place of where I'd like to go? And you're thinking, it is so small. How could it ever grow to that certain point I need it to? How am I ever going to move on? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. That was hard for us to see 10 years ago. I mean, it seemed like nobody was rejoicing to see the work begin at Grace Community Church. We were just, we didn't know what was going to happen, where it was going to go. We were small. Faith was not high. It was tough. I emailed out. Um, I, I hope I ca- caught everybody who was here uh, that still, you know, is a part of this uh, church that was there those 10 years ago. And I saw it, sent an email out and I just said, hey, uh, you know, any ideas and thoughts? And Richard Thompson sent me some thoughts here, which I thought were excellent. And I'm going to share four of them or four or five of them with you real quick. This is what he said. And this is all about our really, really small beginning. He said, setting up and taking down the chairs took two minutes total if we moved very slowly. He said, you know how some people love the back row of the church and how some people love the second and third row of the church? No problem. They were all the same row. John could have fed the flock with five loaves of bread and two fish. No miracle required. Now, this this last one here is probably my favorite one that he shared with. He said this, we were wonderfully free of any blue and gray jerseys with that awful star on them. Yes. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Did you catch did you catch the victory last week? Did you catch the victory last week? Did that not warm your heart in such a special way? And what an incredible ending. That was awesome. You know, about five years ago, we had a guy visit the church. And, uh, you know, I didn't know this. He was a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And I was just playing around as I normally do and poking fun at Dallas Cowboys. They definitely deserve it. But I wasn't, you know, I, I love Cowboys fans. And so I had said something about it. Anyway, I ran into this guy. Out on the streets, I don't know where it was. I ran into him like two or three or four weeks later. I don't know what it was. And he says to me, he's very serious. You know, he said, um, I was really offended. I'm a Cowboys fan. I was really offended that you said something about the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm never coming back to your church again. And I said, well, I think you made the right decision. <laughs> I just, I, was, it, was that bad? Was that a bad thing? Was it a bad thing to say? Do you... Th- with Jesus, is he, he was upset with me. I was a weak, I had a weak moment, and, uh, anyway. I asked God to forgive me. We, uh, we, we started up the street. You, you know where Liberty Tavern is? You know where that restaurant up in Clarence, Liberty Tavern? I've never been there. I heard it's really good. But, uh, that used to be a Mason's Lodge. It's a Mason's Lodge. And, uh, I didn't know any of the Masons there, but somebody who was coming, relative, was a part of those Masons, and they said, look, you can meet here for free. In this Mason's Lodge, uh, the location's great. And so and we, we go in there, and this is where we couldn't use the front door. You had to come in the side door of the Mason's Lodge. Now, wonderful people, very generous and very kind. Uh, we met in their fellowship hall, but upstairs, we, we needed the kids to go somewhere because we, we still had like seven or eight kids. We were very small. We had a lot of little babies. And uh, there was this room where they have their meetings in upstairs. And since I hadn't been in a lodge before, I didn't quite understand it. But the room was blue. Like everything was blue. All the walls were blue. And there was all these symbols everywhere. And on one end, there was this massive eyeball, right? And... I don't know what that was doing to the kids, but it was freaking me out, man. You know, it was scaring me. And so we didn't want the kids to meet in there. So the kids actually met in a hallway upstairs. I mean, it was terrible. And so I just knew that we, we, we had to leave there. Our first Sunday there, when we walked into the tool shed, as Maureen said, we had to come in through the side door. There was this huge air conditioning heating system that was right there that greeted you when you came in through the side doors, like you're walking in through the basement or something like this to get there. And this is what people were greeted with on Christmas Eve 2000 when we started. Now, we did not know that they were redoing their bathrooms. Now, what did that mean to us? This is what it meant to us. you got the HVA system here and a toilet here just right out in the middle of this little lobby. And so you had to squeeze in between the two things, the HVA system and the toilet, like this, to get into the room that we met in. We took a Christmas poinsettia, a red poinsettia, and we put it down in the bowl of that toilet <laughs> just to make things look nice. And so we, uh, we really, really um, began quite, quite small. Um, walk and wait. Lesson number four is to walk and wait. Now, that seems kind of strange, but you can actually do both of those things at the same time. You can walk and you can wait because God called Abraham to do that exact thing. Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, 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 same people, leave your country. Notice this. Notice the yours in this. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you. So what's he saying to him? I want you to leave everything that's familiar to you. I'm going to do something totally new and something totally unique in your life. Your people, your country, your family, your father, your, you're going to leave that and you can do something completely, completely new. Here's the thing for those of us who are walking and waiting. You need to do what you know to do. You need to do what you know to do. And the stuff that you don't know, know to do, 
rest and wait on God. There is a blessing in the scripture for all those who wait upon God. Isaiah 30 says, blessed are those who wait for him. What is the tendency to do when you are waiting on God and you're just thinking, man, he is just way too slow. You settle. You settle, don't you? You settle. So you either do this, you either settle for what you know and make up the best you can, or you just totally give up, right? Isn't that right? So the idea was, is man, we're just waiting, waiting, waiting too long. It says in Isaiah 40, it says, those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They're going to find, not they're going to have strength now. They won't have the new strength now. But if they keep waiting, they're going to find this new strength. They'll fly on wings like eagles. They'll run and not go away. They'll walk and not faint. Some of you are just waiting. And what I want to encourage you is don't settle. For less than best. Do what you know to do and wait for God to come through for his best later. Don't settle. I played a lot of basketball and I grew up playing at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. And I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I was up there. The big, big, cute. Was that funny? Was that funny? You can't imagine me still playing basketball 10 years ago. Anyway, so I'm up at uh, TJ, the, the big, uh, they've got three courts. So then I played with a huge, big group of guys. And there was a guy that, I mean, nobody liked this guy. He just really had a bad attitude. He walked in the gym. I mean, just everything just went down. So anyway, we're there. We're playing. The guy's there one day. And um, I mean, there's a huge crowd of us around. And this girl walked up. And all the guys, I mean, I don't know these things, notice these things because I'm a pastor, but all the other guys thought she was like way attractive and uh, she was dressed in a certain way that really caught attention. And so she walked up and she started talking to the guy that everybody thought was a jerk. And they talked for a few minutes and then they walked away together. And everybody in the circle is looking at each other. Is she with him? Is she with that guy? Can you believe that? And then one guy said, she should have walked around the neighborhood a couple more times before she settled for that. Do you know what I'm saying? There is a pressure that we will settle for far less than God's best. And all we need to do is walk around the neighborhood just a little bit longer and wait on God. Resist the urge to settle for less than best and resist the urge to just give up. I want to tell you about a lunch that I had at Whitlow's. You know where Whitlow's is. Any big party animals here? You could admit it. It's okay. Whitlow's. Nobody knows about Whitlow's. Nobody likes to party at Whitlow's. One honest person in a green shirt in the back. So I go up to Whitlow's for lunch. It was a devastating lunch for me, and I'll tell you, here's, here's the reason why. I was meeting with another guy who started uh, a church, similar time frame that Grace Community Church started. And he wanted to get together. It was about nine months into both of our churches. He wanted to get together and just talk about it. So we sat down, and I just said, how's it going? And man, he unloaded on me for a almost an hour straight. He had a strategy. He had a mission. He had a vision. He had brochures. He had a leadership team that he met with. with his, he met with a leadership team of 40 people for nine months before they ever started the church. They had a website to die for and an office that was absolutely incredible. He had it all lined out. It was, I mean, the, just unbelievable. The, it was so clear. And when he got done with that, after an hour, he turned and looked at me and says, okay, what about you? I had zero. There was no, I didn't know, I felt like God was calling us to do something unique. I had no clue. We're nine months into it. No, you're not going to survive without a mission. I know. You're not going to survive. With, I know. Got nothing. What was, the, what was the pressure? The pressure was, well, let's just do church like we, I've been in church all my life. So let's just simply have a new name, make it younger and make it hip. And, you know, it's like Rice Krispies. We'll just call it something else, but it's still Rice Krispies in the box. You know what I'm saying? Here's what I'm trying to say to you. God has called every single person in this room to something unique. I totally believe that. 
God has some unique calling or gifting in your life, and God wants to do it. And some of you are just going nuts waiting. Keep praying. Do what you know to do and wait on God. Do not settle for less than best. God was not calling us to simply do church like we'd always known it before. He wasn't calling us to do that. That is what was familiar. That's what was familiar to Abraham. And God was calling Abraham to something different. And God was calling Grace Community Church to something different. We felt it as we prayed about it, but we had no clue what it was. So here's how it all came together. As you're praying and you're thinking about these things, you're asking God to show you, what I find in my life is a lot of times God will speak and I won't even recognize God's voice speaking to me. Here's what I mean by that. During the first two years of the existence of this church, well, I'm begging God, please speak to me. What's your will? What are you doing? Why aren't you speaking? What is? Are you not there? Are you taking a break? What is going on? Where are you? The whole time while I'm begging that, here's what happens to me for the first two years of the existence of this church that never happened before and has never happened since. I'm not a social butterfly. When I'm out somewhere on the streets walking up and down a sidewalk or in a store somewhere, I don't, I don't strike up conversations with people. You know what I'm saying? Do you know, is anybody else like me? I'm just going about my, I'm shy. I don't do that. I'm telling you, for two years, I had everybody and his brother wanting to talk to me, and that never has happened in my life. And they all ask me what I do. What do you do? And I'm a pastor of this church in Arlington. And here was the response over and over again. I hate church. Well, happened one time, two times, three times, four times, five times. It happened all these times. And finally, when God finally got my attention with this, I was in the Safeway up here at Cherrydale. Right here on Lee Highway. I'm talking to the guy who works for Safeway in the produce section. Now, how many people do you meet that work for Safeway in the produce section, turn to you and ask you what you do for a living? Huh? Does that ever happen to you? Never happened to me. What do you do for a living? I work for a church. He turned around, anger in his face, finger up. I hate church. I'm like, what is the deal with this? All right, good. So, finally, God got my attention. There's a bunch of people in Arlington County who hate church. Why do you hate church? I started asking, tell me why you hate church. Church is all about condemnation. Church is all about hypocrisy. Church is all about money. Exactly what you see on this flyer. We started asking the question, oh, you tell me why you hate church. Obviously, you hate church. Tell me why. These three things over, 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 over again. God was getting our attention. Now, something else, pivotal thing that happened in, in the midst of all of this. Uh, was praying, God, uh, how do we get the word out that we actually exist? You know, that we're here, what do you want us to be? All of these things like this. And I, the, the office, the Grace Community Church office, uh, God bless the pastor at First Baptist Church of Boston. He called me up one day, I think he felt really sorry for me. And he had a room. He said, you want a room, I'll give it to you for free. We went anywhere that was places for free. Like if somebody said something was free, that's where Grace went, right? So he said, I got this free room for you. And so I go to this, I go and he gives me this room and I get this old broken down, this folding table, right? Thing was on its last leg, had a big hole in it, right? I had a metal folding chair and I had a cell phone. That's the only thing that was in the room. And that was our office for the first 18 months. Somebody found a mailing address of us though and started sending me these catalogs about doing postcards. 
And I would take it, because I didn't feel good about doing postgrad, I just immediately throw it away. Not only did we feel good about it, we didn't have the money, so I just throw it away, throw it away, throw it away. And I did that for month after month after month, and finally one day, instead of throwing it away, I let it sit right on that little broken down folding table when I was praying one morning, and the thing was like screaming at me, and it was making me, I mean, I, did, I was all upset during my time of prayer. And so I picked up that catalog, and I said, well, that's it, God. If you want us to do a mailer, then I need $10,000, and I threw the thing in the trash. That night, I got a call from a lady, West Virginia. She said, I got $11,500 in stock I want to give the church. I said, well, that's great. Uh, and so I obviously got the connection between the prayer that morning and this what happened here. Now, I, I've read through Exodus many times, and I wonder, you know, when the children of Israel, when the seas parted and the manna and all the plagues in Egypt, like... How could they possibly doubt God when God was doing all that, right? Uh-huh. Now I understand how they can doubt God. Because God answered, that, there's the quickest answer I've ever had to a prayer in my life. But see, I was already negative against doing mailers. And then the few people who were coming to grace, they expressed negativity about the mailers. So you know what did we do with the mailer? We did nothing. We did nothing. We just put that money in the bank and we just didn't touch us. I just told the treasurer, I said, just lock it away. I have no idea what, I, you know, what, what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything. It was all this, no, ah, mailers are terrible. They're cheesy. They're ridiculous. Don't do them. So I said, okay. I go to a conference out in California, a church conference. I go into a breakout session. It's about some subject. I don't know. But you know what they talk about for an hour and a half straight? Mailers. That's all they talk about. And I'm looking around thinking, how in the world did this happen? And so... It was like halfway through that session, like God sat down right next to me and he said, look, you prayed. I gave you the quickest answer to prayer you've ever had in your life and you've done absolutely nothing. And then it felt like he hit me on the back of the head, got up and walked out of the room. <laughs> I, go to, I go to the airport. I go to the airport two days later. I go to the airport two days later. I'm getting on the plane. And here's what I knew getting on the plane. <laughs> We're going to do a mailer. Like, if I have to physically fight somebody in the church, we are going to, we are going to just, we're going to do this mail. There's no stopping me. So I was resolved about that. Um, I get on this plane. It's a big DC-10, right? And you know how they have, they got the, the rich people up front in the first class section, right? And then you got the close to being rich people in the business class, right? And then you got, you know, the poor people, me, all the way in the back of, of the bus, so to speak. So I'm back there. And I look around, you know, getting into the flight we've taken up. There's nobody back there with me. Like, there's no other poor people on the plane. Everybody else is rich and up front. And I'm back. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know if the rapture took place. I don't know what happened. I'm sitting back there. I'm completely by myself. The flight attendants, an hour into the flight, this is a daytime flight, not a nighttime, daytime flight, California to Virginia. They turn all the lights out because there's no, it's just me. They're like, we're not even going to serve you. You don't even exist. They turn all the lights out. And so I'm praying all the way back. Okay, God, we're going to do this mailer. But what in the world do we put on it? Who are we? Who are we? And here it comes. You're a church where people don't go to church. That's who I want you to be. There's a bunch of people all over this city who have been hurt by church, burned by church, and bored by church. And I love those people. And I want to reach out to them and touch them and heal them. That's who you're to be. I come back. I mean, I just, we're going to put the phrase on there. I'm all excited because I felt like God spoke to me. And I remember telling somebody, I says, here, we're going to do this mail. And we're going to put this phrase, a church being one church. And they said, well, what does that mean? And then it finally dawned on me. I had no clue what it meant. I had no clue what it meant. There's one group of people who clearly knew what it meant. And they walked into church over and over and over again. They said, you see this phrase? I don't go to church. That's why I'm here. 
and none of them asked me what it meant. The only people who asked me were church people. The people who had been burned and bored by church, who didn't want to go to church, they knew, somehow they knew immediately what it meant. I'll never forget, well, this is the second time we've done a hate church series, the second time. The first time was like six years ago. And the front of it looked just like this. Two sisters came in that day. They were probably in their 20s. And I'll never forget this. I met them, front door, they were walking out, and they had the postcard with them. They said, see this? And they both said in unison, like singing chorus, we hate church. And they had a big smile on their face. Like, that is, this is so weird, God. What am I doing? I mean, I, this was so unfamiliar. There's a tendency for us to fall back to what's familiar. And God wants to take us towards something that is new. Okay, lesson five. I know it's getting late. I promise, I'm almost done. This is my last Sunday in this room. So step back, don't overreact. All right, uh, don't be quick to fly off the handle. Anger boomerangs and you can spot a fool by the lumps that he has on his head. Chicken little, the sky is falling, right? Chicken little, the sky is falling. Sometimes, you ever gotten this way? You ever melted down over something that seems so huge and then now as you look back on it in retrospect, it seems so small? I'm like, you were just like ready just to totally throw in the chips Whatever, you were just melting down because it was so terrible what had happened. And now you look back and you just laugh about it. That was, man, this, that has been the story. So we come back, we decide to do this mailer, right? We do this mailer, mailer goes out. Now here's the thing you got to know. This, this one that we just sent out is 10 times the mailer our, uh, of our first mail that we ever did. We just mailed to like 100,000 homes this. Our first mailer was to 10,000 homes. Now check out what happened. All that week when the mailer went out, my phone was ringing off the hook. People were just cussing me out. How dare you send me that mail? It wasn't this one. It was a simple laid-back mailer. We worked our way up to this. Okay, just, hey, you know, if you feel stressed out, come. So it was just a general. But these were people who just, like, well, they hated church. And so they were mad. They were angry. And how are you meeting in school and separating church and state? And they gave me all cuss words I've never even heard before. They were writing me letters, phone ringing off. It was crazy. The pushback was powerful. On the Sunday... The first Sunday that we ever tried the mailer, I pulled in the lot. This has never happened before. There was 30 sheriff's cars in that parking lot. 30. What's up? And somebody said to me as I, as they, as they walked in, says, you know, there were regular attendants. You know, if I saw all those sheriff's cars, I would never come to this church. Thank you. Very encouraging. Uh, we got inside this room, and there was two birds just flying all around this room. Two birds never happened before. Sheriff's cars, phone calls, birds. Sound system wouldn't work. work. We couldn't figure out why. It just wouldn't work. Now, you know what, everybody? Here's what you need to understand. When God calls you to something and you start it, the battle is going to be the most powerful. We just sent out a mailer 10 times that size. I've received one phone call, and that was from somebody thanking me for sending the mailer. I received 10 phone calls off an itty-bitty little mailer we did, and people hated my guts. Couldn't stand me, going to track me down and hurt me and all kinds of stuff. Why does that happen? How does that happen? God calls you to do something new. The battle is usually going to be the toughest at the beginning because the devil wants you to turn around off that bridge and go back the way you came. He's happy the way you are, and God is calling you to something bigger and better. That's the lesson that I learned from that. So don't overreact. Take a step back. All right. Just be real. I'm almost done. Just be real. I have noticed that there is a tremendous pressure in church circles to act righteous and like you've got your act completely together. And I suggest to you that it is unhealthy and that God has not designed us to live lives of pretension. It is much healthier for us to be absolutely real and honest about who we are. 
I have, over the course of the years, I have stood up here before and said, you know what, I struggle with this or I struggle with that and I have doubts or doubts about God sometimes and all kinds of... It is best just to be honest. When grace began, my wife and I, we, Krista, we had been through so much. We had been burned by church ourselves. And we decided... Look, we're going to be honest about our faith. We're going to be totally transparent about this church. We're going to be transparent about our marriage. We are just going to be real. And the thought was, from my years of growing up, man, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's crazy. But you know what? We had nothing to lose. So we're just real. And God calls us to just be real. Lesson number seven. You absolutely cannot outgive God. You can't outgive God. Luke 6, if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together, gathered to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving large or small, it will be used to measure what is given back to you. Specifically, Jesus Christ was talking about forgiveness there. But the principle is true, whether it's forgiveness or it's love or it's your time, your energy, your encouragement to others, your graciousness or even your money. I got a phone call when we just began. We were just a couple months into the church, and Treasurer said, we've got, can you believe this, 11000 I remember the number, $780 in the bank. I said, whoa, that was huge. I could not believe that. And I'm driving to a meeting to meet with the, those few people who were coming to Grace at that time, and I'm driving into the parking lot, and for some reason God prompts me very strongly and says, give 30% of that money away. Give 30% of that money away and bless others, help others. I walk in that meeting and I say, man, I just, I feel like we should do this. I just, whew, I don't know why. Now, I'm not saying that you do this all the time. I'm not saying, okay, man, I go out and give 50% of everything I got away because God's going to, okay, so clarify. Are we cool? Okay, this is a one-time, man, give that money. Now, we always tithe as a church. We always gave 10% at minimum away of whatever came in. But this time, we're going to, boom, we're going to give 30% away. And I remember one of them commented to me, well, you're just shooting yourself in your own foot, man. <laughs> I mean, we were just a tiny church. You know, you get paid. You know, you're not going to get paid. I said, okay. Stupid, but we're going to do this. So we did this. I got a phone call a week later from the treasurer. said, so I don't know what's happened, but for some reason, we have received money in, in the past week, totaling almost $17,000. And we now have $30,000 in the bank after we just gave all that money away. And we learned right up front that we could not outgive God. And we would always give and we would always serve. Now, 2008 was financial meltdown. You all know that, right? Financial meltdown in the United States of America. And we melted down big time. And, and the church, whoo, man, we cut back. We cut back so far. And here's the thing. Our shortfall on our budget almost matched what we were giving away. Does, does that make sense? So if we stopped giving money away, boom, our budget would have been met. We have a problem. So the temptation was is to simply stop giving. First thing that goes, stop the giving. We said, we're not going to do that. So we just cut everything back we could. We did not cut back. We continued to give away. We cut, I mean, we didn't buy paper clips. Like we had prayer meetings before we bought paper clips. We had to, you had to feel really convicted to buy a paper clip. We cut everything back. And God got us through. It was beautiful. In 2009, man, things just straightened themselves out somehow miraculously. And it, it did well. And then 2010, since we've entered this year in 2010, everybody. We have been consistently behind every single month. And I tell you that to say this, because here's what happens. We've been calling TJ Middle School for five or six years to see if we could meet there, because the parking lot of Key is just way too small, and we don't want three services. And, man, when we first started calling them six years ago, they just hung up on us. Just like, bang, can we meet there? Bang. It was it. 
Somebody said, uh, three years ago, called me, and we called them again. They said, ah, uh, yeah, maybe you can be here. There'll be one Sunday a year you can't be here. We got deep in the conversation, and they said, 12 Sundays you can't be here. We said, okay, that won't work. And then two years later, somebody said, call them again. Call them again. You should call TJ again. Every other place has turned us down. We call them again. They said, maybe two Sundays you can't be here. And then we got deep in the conversation. They said, 24 Sundays. So we're going in multiples of 12, right? I've said this before. It's, so it's just bad. It doesn't work. Finally, we call again like nine months ago at the beginning of this year. And God starts just working in this situation. Their attitude changes before us. We've had storage right here in this closet. We store everything for this church basically in that closet, which is unheard of for all these years that we've been here. Okay? We asked TJ, can we have storage? He said, no way. You're going to have to buy a trailer. and do something. You've got to haul stuff in and out. That's a problem for us. We... We get a phone call, and by the way, we work the Sundays out. There's only like two or three Sundays we can't be at TJ now. We get a phone call from Key School like a month and a half, two, three months ago, whatever it was, and they say after all these years, they say, you know what, you've got to get all your stuff out. You get all your stuff. You can't store anything here anymore. Really? The very next day, TJ calls us out of the blue and says, hey, you know about that storage thing? We're going to give you a, man, you've got this huge room. Fill it up. Like, we have 10 times the amount of storage space at TJ now. It's been miracle after miracle after miracle. We had one person in this church who did not want to go TJ, terribly said, do not go to TJ. Don't go, don't go, don't go. And she was here a couple Sundays ago, and she said, God, if you really want us to go to TJ, I need a sign. And she's terribly afraid of mice. Now, we've never had have this before. And a mouse ran across the back of this room right here. And God, God gave us. So all I'm trying to say to you is God has led us this way. Now, I know I'm running late, but if you'll please forgive me for running late today. I'm very sorry. Um, so we're praying. It's going to take us, everybody, uh, more money than what we had originally thought to make this move to TJ. We sat down as a staff. We did this dream budget up. Okay. $100,000. Yeah. The equipment, this equipment won't work at TJ because we have to be fast at TJ. It takes our sound guys back there, they show up at 7 o'clock in the morning and they leave here at about 1.30 in the afternoon. They're working, 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 working. We don't have the flexibility of time when we go to TJ. We've got to be fast in, fast out. And to get speed, you have to spend money. We were blown away. So we're looking at what's happening in the church for all of 2010. And we're like, oh my gosh, this... The dream, it was a dream budget, right? Oh, my gosh, those two, don't, I mean, we're going in two opposite directions. And then we got Andy Lamb right over here who spoke last week. God's calling him to be a legal missionary in the Philippines on human trafficking. Something we have prayed about for years that God would help us get involved with and make a difference. So we made the decision. Well, let's not give the money to Andy, right? We made the decision. Let's give the money to Andy in faith and believe somehow God's going to work all this out. We don't know how the number's going to work. I get a phone call from Tom Batcher, and some of you know Tom. Tom's been coming to church for five years. Now, Tom's not a church guy. Oh, man. And he's very upfront about that. Very upfront. And he does not give money away. He's been very clear about that. But God's been working on Tom's life over these past five years, and my goodness, he's had a complete reverse. He calls us the next day and says, I want to meet with you. God's put it on my heart. And I think, and check this out, he knew nothing. He says, I think it's going to cost you $100,000 to move to TJ. How did you know that? How did you know that? He said, I just want to pray about it. I want to talk about it. Talk to some people. I don't want you guys to even be involved. Four days later, Tom calls and says, okay, you're done. You got the entire budget. It's already met. So we're walking 
into TJ with everything we need. Now, our, our regular monthly given is still, I mean, we're still tight, but we're walking in there with the budget for the transition completely met. That's a God thing. That's a God thing. Okay. okay. I'm a, last point. This is it. This is going to be really brief. Let God be God. You, you all, what I've learned over 10 years here at Grace is you've got to let God be God. It says in Zechariah chapter 4, and it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. Those words were spoken to Zerubbabel from Zechariah because Zerubbabel was very discouraged. God had sent him back to Jerusalem to build up the temple, and all the work on the temple had stopped. Everybody in the neighborhood was saying, you'll never do it. It's not going to work. They were discouraging them and distracting them. And all the people who was working with Israel, they gave up. They just went and worked on their homes. They could care less that the church was not being better. Just, who cares? And he was so down and depressed. And Zechariah comes to him and says, I got a message from God for you. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by my spirit, says God. We have gone through some very discouraging times. But we serve a really big God. You're here this morning. And some of you are really facing some difficult things. And some of you are really discouraged about something. And here's the message I want to give to you today. You serve a really big God. You have no idea what God might do in your life. And it's important to wake up every single day, brand new day, with expectation in your heart. Never put a limit on God. Let God be God. He's much bigger than what we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for 10 years here at Key School. I want to thank you, God, for all that you've done. You get the credit for 100% for every single thing. Everything, God, has been all you. Father, I specifically want to lift up those in this room this morning who are discouraged. They're facing something. They're battling something. God, I pray that you would give all of us in this room that are in that condition of discouragement, give us a glimpse of how mighty how huge and powerful you are and how small our problems can be in the face of your awesomeness. Lift us up and out in Jesus' name. Amen.